Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. So I'm sure that you've heard the saying, pride goes before a fall, right? It's the idea that when people get proud, that that's when things start to fall apart. Now this thing is actually from the Bible in Proverbs verse 16, 18. It says this, says pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Now haughtiness, big word for pride. So when I was in my 20s, I played in a band. I know, I know, everybody knows. But at one time, we were playing one of the biggest shows of our entire career. We were playing at this festival and there were tens of thousands of people, no joke, in the crowd. And we were so pumped. Now, we already knew that we were the greatest rock band who had ever lived. And so when we hit that stage, we were, we were golden gods. John, our guitar player, he got especially caught up in the heat of the moment. Now, the stage was huge. It was easily six feet high off the ground, and we were set pretty far back away from the edge of the stage and away from the crowd. And so John, uh, wearing his super cool sunglasses on stage, decided that he needed to get a little closer to his adoring fans in order to give them what they really wanted himself. So he strutted out in front of all the rest of us to the edge of the stage, and he starts ripping out this huge guitar solo. Now, as John was primping and shredding for the crowd of people, uh, just in front of all the rest of us, we just kept playing a little bit back behind him. Until I heard this loud sound on the monitors, this yong yong sound. It was like somebody had smashed the guitar. It wasn't my guitar, so I look over to where John was to see what was going on, but he wasn't there. He was gone. Because John had his super cool sunglasses on when he strutted up to the front of the stage to give his thousands of fans what they wanted, he couldn't see the edge of the stage and he stepped right off the front of it. And he fell six feet to the ground and landed on his elbow to protect his guitar. We know it was his elbow because after that he kept saying, my elbow's on fire, which became a catchphrase that we then used for years and years to relentlessly make fun of him. My elbow's on fire. He looked like an idiot and he made the rest of us look like idiots because pride goes before a fall. The Beatitudes are a segment of Jesus's teaching that we find in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus highlights people who God blesses. And in doing so, Jesus is painting a picture of what his new kingdom and the people who are gonna make up his new kingdom is going to look like. And in Matthew 5, 5, he says this. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, maybe a better translation of that for our purposes is found in the New Living Translation of the Bible, which is just, it's the translation I prefer to use and I like. Uh, it says this, it says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, up to this point, every blessed our statement that we've been talking about, that Jesus has given, um, every blessed our statement has really been kind of counterintuitive. He said, blessed are the poor. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Being poor and in mourning, honestly, to us and to the people Jesus was talking to, they seem more like curses than blessings. And we talked about those over the last few weeks, if you wanna go back and check those messages out. But 
Blessed are the humble. I mean, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Humility is a virtue, isn't it? And we can all agree that humility is a good thing, right? I mean, we celebrate and elevate people who are humble, don't we? And those people genuinely want to be humble, don't they? Well, it, it certainly wasn't like that in Jesus's day because the people who held positions of power and authority and leadership in Jesus's culture, they were the Jewish religious leaders. They were the rabbis, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. And they weren't looked up to because they lived quiet, simple lives. I mean, these people were admired because they were well-spoken, because they dressed in the finest clothes. They, they sat in the seats of honor and they rubbed shoulders with other powerful and talented people. I mean, don't just take my word for it. Look at what Jesus has to say about these people in Mark chapter 12. It says that Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and, and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. In describing the religious leaders of his day, doesn't it seem like Jesus is describing the kind of qualities that we elevate and that we celebrate in people? I mean, even the qualities we ele elevate and celebrate in people in the church, right? People who are well-dressed, well-spoken, talented, stage-ready, well-respected. But Jesus is also painting a picture of pride. People who seek the things that make them look great to the world and people who flaunt those things when they have them. But it also looks like Jesus really hates that pride and that he has some strong words for the proud. I mean, he says this, that they will be more severely punished. Look what he says in Luke chapter 11 about the same group of people. He says, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they're stepping on. That's big. Jesus says, you Pharisees, you better watch out. Because the people, they look at you and they give you seats of honor because our culture thinks that the trappings of pride, the talent, the clothes, the, the, the position, that these things are a virtue. But the people don't know that behind the facade of pride, is emptiness, death. And Jesus doesn't mince words when it comes to pride and about the people who are proud. In fact, Jesus, he kind of hates it. And hate might be a strong word, but it's God's word. Look at Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 17. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. And the first one is haughty eyes. Now, I don't even need to go through the rest of the list. I can stop right there because in the list of things that God hates, what is the very first thing? Haughty eyes. Or to put it in like, you know, normal everyday language, pride. Pride at its spiritual root is, is the belief that I don't need God or that God can't do anything for me. It's the turning of our focus away from God and onto, completely onto ourself. Pride is ultimately the act 
of putting ourselves at the center of our lives instead of putting God and others at the center of our lives. And pride makes us believe we don't need God. And he hates it. Not only does God detest pride, but look at how that plays out. In, in Psalm 138, six, God says this. He says, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. God distances himself from proud people. He doesn't go near them. He limits his involvement in their lives and in their affairs. And when we have pride, it's like a reverse magnet that pushes God to the outside edges of our lives. James 4 says this, I love how James writes this. He says, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James is quoting a verse in Proverbs 3.34, which is important because if a theme is stated in the Old Testament and then repeated and affirmed again in the New Testament, that's something we need to take notice of. Because not only does God distance himself from the proud, but God actively opposes the proud. This is a big deal. This isn't just God withholding help and blessings in his presence from our lives, but it is active opposition. God works against the proud. If you have a pride problem, then the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe is opposing you. And that should be terrifying. And this was such an important thing in the first century church that both James and Peter, men who personally knew Jesus, wrote about it and taught about it. Peter puts it this way. He says, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Again, Peter repeats this verse from Proverbs 3. And this is why humility is so important for followers of Jesus. Because God is distant and opposed to those who have a pride problem. But it also shows us why those who are humble are blessed. Isaiah 57, 15 says that the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. There's two important things that I want us to see in this really important passage. And the first is the greatness of God. He lives in eternity. He's in our past, he's in our present, he's, he's in our future. God is so vast, so powerful, he's so eternal that we can't even begin to understand how awesome he is. He exists so much higher than, than we are that it's incomprehensible how great God is. He lives in the high and in the holy place. Humility, it comes from understanding and remembering this fact that, that when we understand the absolute perfect power and the greatness of God, that falling down and humbling ourselves before him, recognizing that we have nothing and that we can do nothing compared to him, it's the only appropriate response. And pride is the natural, natural response when we fail to see who God really is, when we, when we don't get him, when we diminish him in our hearts and minds, when we, when we leash him to our cultural values and put him in a box that fits our small ideology instead of who he really is. 
And then the second important thing in Isaiah 57 that we need to grasp is that God lives with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. This picture of where God chooses to be more present couldn't be clearer, that God distances himself from the proud, but he draws near to the humble. He lives with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. We rec when we recognize his greatness and submit to it, to those who understand their deep and absolute need for him, God says, blessed are those who understand that I live and that I exist so much higher than they are in eternity. And then they live as if they need me and, and want to please me in everything. You see, our humility and pride are directly connected to how we see God. This means that pride is not just about thinking that we're awesome and, you know, strutting out to the front of the stage for our adoring fans. I mean, that's an expression of pride. But pride is also the streak of independence that says, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. It also means that pride is when we're so focused on ourselves and our own problems that we don't see God anymore. Check this out. If, if pride is a self-centered focus, it isn't just when we think we are great. It's not just people who think they are too good for God. It's also people who think they're too bad for God. Pride is also when we think we are hopeless. Worry is pride. It's the elevating of our problems and concerns over the eternal God who is so much greater than them. Anxiety is pride, not the chemical mental illness kind, but the kind where we work ourselves up over the things that we're afraid of. It's pride. It's the same with, with deep feelings of guilt and shame. It's a self-centered focus. It's pride. And at its heart, Pride is the focus on ourselves instead of God and others. And it's the root of so many things that affect us. Fear, stress, depression, anger, our rights. All of these things are rooted in what I need, how I look, and what I should be able to do on my own. These things are all rooted in a total focus on ourselves. And whether it leads us to feeling like we don't need God, or it leads us to feeling like things are so terrible that God can't do anything, it's pride, rooted in a self-focus instead of in a focus on God. Last week during the huge snowstorm we had, Terry was backing our minivan out of the driveway and she got it stuck in a snowbank. So I had to trudge out of bed before seven in the morning, which I don't like, and I tried to back the van up myself because she couldn't and it wouldn't get out. So I got a shovel out and I started digging. I was digging snow out from behind the van. I was digging snow out from around it, from underneath it. It stunk, I was so mad. And after 15 minutes of moving snow around, um, I would try to get in and, and back the van out. When I couldn't, I would try to push it while she backed it out and it didn't work and it didn't work. So I'd shovel more snow and we'd try it again. I'd push, wouldn't come out. After we'd been about at it for about 15 or 20 minutes, our neighbor saw us and he came out and he offered to help, help to push the van out. And you know what I did? I jumped into the van before he made it over to our driveway and I tried one more time on my own. And guess what happened? I got it out. I got it out on my own. But the truth is, is that I wanted to do it on my own. Even though my neighbor had offered to help us, I wanted to get the van out before he had to help us. Because I didn't want to need him. I didn't want to need help. 
Pride makes us incapable of turning our lives over to God. It causes us to think we don't need him. It causes us to not want to need him. And it causes us to think that God probably can't help us anyway. In other words, pride makes us dependent on ourselves alone. And when that happens, God has no room or a limited place in our lives. But humility does the opposite. Humility acknowledges our position in relation to God's position, that he's eternal, that he's high and above everything and anything that we know and that we face. Humility says that we need him. Isaiah 66, two through four, God says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts who tremble at my word. Blessed are the humble. God lives with them. His presence is near to them. He has special grace for them. But God keeps his distance from the proud. He opposes them. So which are you? Do you feel distant from God? Do you feel opposition from him in areas of your life? If so, is it possible that you're suffering from pride? The pride of thinking you don't need God that puts your own ability at the center of your life rather than God. Or equally as damaging, do you suffer from the pride of worry and anxiety that puts your fears at the center of your life rather than the power of God? Pride is the worship of yourself and whether it's your best self or your worst self, it, it pushes God to the edges. Humility starts by seeing where we are in relation to God, by acknowledging our pride and our self-centeredness, by asking God, by just saying, God, humble me. Because when I wake up in the morning, I'm not, I'm not thinking about you, I'm thinking about me. When, when I'm at the church gathering, I'm not thinking about everyone else, I'm thinking about me. When I think about my role in the church body, the body of Christ, I'm not thinking about how my gifts can benefit the body, I'm thinking about what the church does for me and my kids. I'm thinking about how it makes me feel. Do I like the music? Do I like the coffee, the kids programs, the messages? And if I don't, I'll just, I'll just go to the church down the road until I find something that I like that suits me, that conforms to what I want God's church to be for me because I'm at the center of my life. God, humble me. And remember this promise that comes from God when we humble ourselves. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and the promise. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. God will help you. God will lift you up. God will give you grace. God will exalt you. God will fight for you. God will do what you can't when you are humble before him. There's a God who lives in eternity in a high and holy place, far above and beyond us, incomprehensible. And he wants to make his power and his presence at home with you too. Blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. They will receive God's grace. They will be lifted up at the right time. They are the ones who can cast their worries and cares onto God, knowing that he cares for them. So today, let's remove ourselves from the center of our lives, whatever that looks like, 
because it's pride. And whether it's the pride that says, I'm good enough and I don't need God, or whether it's the pride that says, my worries, my fears, my anxieties are so big that they could never change and that no one could do anything about them, even God. Whatever it is for you, take yourself out of the center of your life and put God at the center because he's high and above it all. He lives in eternity and he wants to live with you too. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.